One small step for a nerd, one quantum leap for the entirety of nerddom. Yes, from the hopeless Commodore programmer to the all-too-sincere Renaissance fair dork, from the unapproachable Doctor Who diehard to the excruciating Japanimation of Ficcinato, from the most graceless graphic novel pedant to the most even clueless drama kid, this is for you! All systems Welcome to Sound Like a Pop series, Making a Musical. A while back, I sat down with the creators of a new musical entitled Invisible, the Musical. In our limited series, we interviewed the creators David Hollingsworth and David Orris about their journey from concept to the stage. Two years have passed. We decided it was time to check in. This episode is the first part of my conversation with the Davids as we talk about what has gone on with Invisible the Musical for the past two years. Welcome to Invisible, the making of a musical. We are talking to the two creators, David Hollingsworth and David Orris. So could you each tell us a little bit about what you do? David Hollingsworth? I uh, am the book writer. So I write all of the, the, uh, the story and the dialogue and the um, non-musical parts of the musical, a.k.a. the, the non-fun parts. That's, that's my <laughs> charge. Totally okay. not true. And uh, David Orris? Uh, I'm the composer and lyricist, and um, the book is totally fun. But um, as, 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 I hope, as I hope people who see it will agree. Um, but uh, yeah, I write the words and the music, and we're really a collaborative team. So even though we both have our respective roles, um, Hollingsworth for sure helps all over the place, influencing what the songs are. And I think to probably a smaller degree, I stick my nose in, uh, you know, with regard to the book. But yeah. Those are our, those are our lanes. Okay, and just to recap, the musical Invisible, um, the idea came to you as kind of what if we set the Invisible Man in high school? Would would that be a great good way to put it? That's that's precisely it. I I, I felt like there were a lot of interesting parallels to, um, in particular, uh, '80s kind of uh, teen nerd comedies and the. Um, the, the the sort of themes of H.G. Wells's The Invisible Man. And it was actually Hollingsworth's brainchild. We had an assignment in a musical theater writing workshop, which is where we met. And he got up and gave this pitch, and I thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life. And um, <laughs> and, and pretty much pounced on him. And I, I kind of assumed that everybody in the workshop would be pouncing on him too. But uh, in any case, I was like, let me help you do this. Let me help you do this. So... Okay, and um, I was fortunate to see one of your first staged readings out there in Burbank, and that's when I started getting involved with you 2 and I've gotten to watch the progress over the last three, four years, which is fascinating. So when we had first talked, you had done two staged readings, and now it is 2019. So could you briefly walk us through what has happened in the last two years since we last spoke in June of 2017, maybe a timeline. Boy, oh boy. Um, I'm sure I will 
screw this up and get it all mixed up. But uh, we've been lucky enough to get to mount a few more readings uh, in different places. Um, we've had quite a bit of development. The show's in total, in, in the total amount of time the show's been in development is 12 or seven years. We started in 2012 writing. Um, so I don't remember when we won which thing, but we were lucky enough to win the NMI Search for New Musicals Award. Uh, we were especially lucky to win a NAMPT National Fund grant, which actually helped fund some of the 2016 stuff you saw, uh, Jen, the one with the full band. And um, uh, jump to today, we are moving toward uh, a concert at 54 Below in New York, which we're super excited about. And we've been working with 3D theatricals all along the way. And TJ, who runs 3D, put us with um, the really, uh, cannot be overstated, truly fabulous theatrical genius, Broadway <laughs> legend, Mark Kudish, who has dramatically influenced uh, what the show has now become, which is actually quite different from what you saw in 2016, Jen. It's, um, it's everything you saw in terms of, we hope that it's still funny and we, we hope that we've kept the heart in it and we hope we're still telling a tale about uh what it means to see another person and take the focus off yourself and make it about other people but in addition to that mark has pushed us toward making the stakes higher making the characters more flesh and blood and it's kind of a thriller now as well mm -hmm. well that's exciting and now i know who mark kudish is and you guys know who it is and we know that matt knows who it is but could you just tell give people an example of how important it is that he's involved uh, just on an artistic level, and, and just interrupt me because I'm a motor mouth Hollingsworth, just get in there. If I'm <laughs> um, but uh, he's, he's, he's literally a theatrical genius. I know that I sound like I'm slathering it on, but I'm really not. He, <laughs> he, sees thing, he really sees things in a way that, that we could not, and there's a reason for it. He's been doing theater at literally the top level on the planet for, what, the past three-plus decades um, so, I mean, he's originated roles in Sondheim shows. I got, I was lucky enough to see him originate the role of Mr. Hart three times in uh, nine to five, the musical alongside, uh, Megan Hilty and Stephanie J. Block. And, uh, he's current, he does all kinds of TV and film work. He's currently in the film late night with Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. And he's has an arc in the Showtime series billions and, uh, us, he has a role in the series, the tick on Amazon. So he's, out there working his butt off and um pretty much everything he does seems to turn to gold <laughs> and um we we're just lucky enough to get to work with a guy yeah i mean well he's he's also like just I, your audience probably knows him also he I, I believe he he originated the role in hand to god correct yes yes and um of course was uh nominated for an uh for emmy for uh or emmy my, my goodness uh <laughs> a tony were a thoroughly modern Millie, which yes. the soundtrack of that was like worn out at my home. Um, my my particularly nerdy thing is that he played um, Conrad Birdie <laughs> in uh, the TV adaptation of uh, Bye Bye Birdie, which my family was obsessed with uh, for for years and years, and um, probably played a contributing factor to me getting into musical theater to begin with. Bye Bye Birdie was the first like high school musical that I got involved with. And I think that production um, like uh, was, was a big part of that. So Mark's been inspiring me before I even uh, fully knew who he was. 
Oh my God. I'm so glad you mentioned Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it everyone's first high school musical? I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dated as it may be, we all still love it. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So when did he get involved? Uh, just th- or this spring. This spring, yeah. we, uh, uh, TJ said, I've got someone I want you to talk to. And, uh, and then he sprung the Mr. <laughs> the Mark Kudish on us. And, um, and, and I, I know I'm kind of repeating myself, but you, we weren't really sure what to expect. And, uh, I mean, we, we knew he was a brilliant theater artist, but honest to God, if we had none of this resume to run down, to you just the thing just the insights he had about invisible in terms of perspective was just it it was it, it was a whole new ball game it, so uh but it's pretty new it's pretty new is the short answer sorry it was probably what march that sounds correct it's it's been a real whirlwind of like productivity <laughs> like we Definitely. feel like we yeah we met march or we met mark just a, a few months ago and have just been like immediately collaborating with him and immediately um, yeah, working like crazy. And can you talk about um, the importance of having someone with fresh eyes come in? Because I know, you know, you, like you said, you guys have been attached to this for the better part of a decade. And then to have someone yeah. with his pedigree and his expertise to come in and all of a sudden it's reinvigorated. What did that mean to you? And what did it do to your process to just have someone like that point out all these things where I'm sure at some point you're like, why didn't we think of that? Um, can you just talk about what he did to reinvigorate the whole process? Yeah. Well, for me, what, what was interesting was, was how kind of immediately, um, what he saw, what we were going for. Um, like even, even in our initial conversations, um, it was, it was really refreshing and interesting to have someone come in and say, okay, I think this is, this is what I think you guys are, are, are going for. This is like the, these are sort of the themes that you're dealing with. These are, um, you know, these are, I feel like even the references that you're working with and, and, um, but then also, yes, the, the, the huge deal of just having someone come in who, um, has not had their head filled with these characters for forever to come in and say, well, what, what, like, I'm interested in learning more about this part of this character or I'm interested as just like an audience member, I'm interested in seeing where this goes, where maybe um, that, that hasn't been fully fleshed out in the version of the show we're working with right now. Like, and th- so that, that that's invaluable. Um, but um, what's, what's uh, it, it <laughs> there, there were definitely like, there were definitely some things of like, man, can we do that? Like, <laughs> Some some suggestions <laughs> where where I really like my my I, I did have to scratch my head and go like is that is that possible to do and like you you get so like you know so attached to to what is there that it it does kind of require some um just just a whole lot of thinking <laughs> to um to kind of yeah. uh yeah work with with um sort of the new suggestions and whatnot but um overall a in in incredibly valuable um experience like just i absolutely reinvigorated the entire process yeah just i i would kind of just repeat what hollingsworth said i think also in addition to that um mark really uh encouraged us toward not only the changes which like hollingsworth said we were like we did kind of have a few moments of 
resistance to some things simply because he kind of came into the house and said, I think the living room should be way over here. And so we were like, you want to move into the living room to the other wing? Like, what? So, for example, uh, there's a song in the show uh, that was previously in Act 2 called Reign of Terror. And Mark's pitch was like, that's he loved the song, but it belongs at the end of Act 1. <laughs> and we were wow. like, what? <laughs> a big change. Uh, yeah. He's like, because what happens then? You have he sings about a reign of terror and then there isn't one. He's like, where's where's the goddamn reign of terror? Um, so uh, there were there were a lot of things like that. But once we kind of got our heads around it, it was so on point and so kind of, I think, what we meant all along that we didn't even know we had sort of he, he sort of guided us to our own intention in a more exponential, clearer way. Um and also, he encouraged us toward a lot of specificity. He himself being a child of the 80s. I'm sure Mark will talk to Matt about this, but he was uh, he was a gifted student <laughs> in the 80s. And um, so I think he really resonates with our uh, our nerd heroes in the in the tale. And so there's just a lot more 80s specificity um, in terms of. Uh, some of the technological devices and the language and things like that, that I think just amp it up and make it more fun. In addition to the character things, he's encouraged us toward making the characters kind of more flesh and blood and giving the audience something more real to get invested in. And that takes a, that's pretty big of both of you to let somebody, I mean, granted he's coming in with, a big reputation and really a lot of experience, but for him to come in and say, Oh, this should be this way. And this should be this way, not in a condescending or superiority way, but just for you both to be so open to changes. And even when you're questioning them to take a step back and be like, you know what, that might be the right call. That's a really important part to this process. It seems like, because I feel like a lot of people can get really invested and emotionally, you know, um, well invested in their work and not be able to step back and see what's best for the show. So kudos to both of you on that. That's a really, really big deal. That's why you're going to be successful. Thanks, Jen. I, I, that's really, Thank that's really cool of you to say. I think a lot of that thanks also does go to Mark because we've had a lot of dramaturgical feedback from a lot of different sources and he, doesn't pull any punches in terms of what he's thinking, but he does it in the most gentle, deft, non-pushy way. And he's he, he's very gentlemanly in his, his approach. It makes it very easy. He's, he's a very easy guy to work with. It also definitely helps that, uh, I mean, a lot of his suggestions, or well, nearly all of them, resonated with what the truth of the show was and what uh, Oris and I are trying to say. None of them... Um, you know, none of none of his notes had anything that that totally uh, destroyed the show. And in fact, I think as 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 much as Oris talks about like what a different direction the show is in, I think the show itself is uh, is is actually quite similar in terms of of uh, how how things um, uh, you know it's, what exactly we're saying. It's just that they're perhaps maybe taken to to different degrees and we get maybe more um, 
uh, more insight on on particular characters, more so than the show itself has totally changed. Which I'm sure that wasn't exactly what what you were saying, Oris, but but um, like yeah, like, oh, yeah like, I, like, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Mark Mark's suggestions weren't uh, weren't things that uh, as much as it moved the living room, it didn't destroy the living room. Well, I think what you said was <laughs> a good point when um, you said you know him as an audience member. Here's what I'm not getting. Because that's a really good approach to it. Like, here's, he's not saying, here's what I think is missing. He's saying, here's what I'm missing. So let's try and figure out a way to explain that. So that's an interesting way to go about, um, approaching the changes. Now, for someone like me who saw it two years ago, are these changes that I'm going to notice? Or is it just because you are so intimately involved that you notice a hundred things that are different? But me and hopefully my friends, Jenna and Joe, are going in as fans of the one two years ago, are we going to be like, oh, this is completely different? I think it's a little of column A, a little of column B. I think there are things you won't be able to miss. And then on the other hand, you're going to be like, this is the same show. Kind of, I think that's what Hollingsworth was kind of just saying. I think it's a little bit of both. There are things that are, I think, dramatically different. But to the, to the, to the average audience member who maybe saw a reading or two is going to be like, something's different. It'll almost be like uh, going to Disneyland after you haven't been there in maybe two or three years, or it's like, oh, that's new. Like, it'll be more like more that energy than like I'm in a totally different park. I like that our show just became Disneyland. Hey, right? <laughs> Not bad. Are there new songs or cut songs or uh, songs that are different than the first time around? There are cut songs and there are new songs. Uh, we actually cut Mr. Reeves' number, at least for the time being. Um, we uh, have kind of beefed up uh, Chetwick, Chetwick's storyline, and particularly Chetwick and Craig's storyline. They have a new song together. Um, there's other new stuff, too, that I'm blanking out on. Uh, Griffin Kemper have a new fight song, um, meaning they fight each other. Uh there's other stuff too. It's like colleagues were said. It's been a whirlwind. My brain is trying to recall everything. What am I missing, Hollingsworth? Uh, as far as songs, I think that's it. Actually, um, I mean, we've 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 moved oh, some, some songs some from Act Two into Act One. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some new reprises, which which I would call new songs um, and things like that. But yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting you. What you might actually more walk away with is um, is that there's you might walk away from this with, with the feeling that there is more show rather than um, a bunch of stuff got deleted and added in. And when sure. you're making when you're making these changes, whether it's musically or to the book, um, are there things? And I think I was watching the Hamilton documentary when they were talking about oh that needs to be cut. And Lynn would just be like, oh, I really love that song. So are there are there songs or lines or scenes when you're they have to be cut, but it just rips your heart out because, you know, it's the right thing to do, but you love it so much. That has happened constantly to such a degree now that I would be hard pressed to give you an example because it's happened so often. Um, yeah. It definitely happens with lines of different things all the time. I think uh, a really cheesy example of just some stuff that went missing is we, because of the changes in the plot, the song that 
temper sings if I were invisible about all the sort of disgusting things he would do if he were invisible. Um, th there was a line that uh, I, I think David Hollingsworth helped me with, if I recall correctly, um, about a about a Nintendo-based mushroom <laughs> that we were particularly fond of that went uh, the way of the dodo bird, um, along with most of the song. But, you know, it's it's kind of the nature of the beast. You, they call it killing your darlings and... Um, we have a whole graveyard at this point. <laughs> as as much as I want to take credit for that particular dick joke, I believe that's an Oris original. Um, oh, okay, maybe maybe it was. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure you get the credit for for the <laughs> the dick joke. For the dick joke. Unfortunately, <laughs> we no longer have. Well, um, if there's if there's any sound bites that get dropped from this podcast, I certainly hope it's as much as I'd like to take credit for that particular dick joke. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like the the whole creative process, yeah, is is in a lot of way killing your darlings and and you know coming up with something great that just doesn't fit. Um, and maybe you use it for something else, but it is. I mean, it's 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 heartbreaking, but it's. I mean, that's 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 what you sign up for, unfortunately. Um. So you had mentioned a couple of the character names, so. To my recollection, there are four people who have been with you since the very beginning, actor-wise. Is that correct, or are there more? It's kind of a... There's kind of been an ebb and flow, but I think uh, you're probably referring to Dan Ammerman, Christy Brooke, Alyssa Rupert, and Jordan Goodsell. Um I don't think any of them were with us in the very, very first, very first readings, but those were such early readings and the show really is wildly different from those first drafts. But yeah, since about 2015, I think all of them have been with us. Wow. So I'm very excited to talk to all four of them as well as part of the series. But um, do you feel a little attached to them now in these roles? Like, are you going to be able to see other people in these roles? I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult because at this point, like it's, I, I mean, with, with, with some of these people, when I'm writing for that character, I sometimes imagine them in my head. Um, it gets, it, it gets very difficult. I, and I mean, as, as writers, we have so little control over that, but, um, but they are, I don't know, they, they, I mean, ev everyone who's been in our, our show has done, done such a good job, um, but the, I mean, the, 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 these four in particular are just, they're, they're phenomenal and they, they do, they have what I think really, um, I guess makes them stand out as actors is just how much fun they are clearly having, um, when they are up there, um, and how much fun they're like, they, they, they bring to the show. It really, it just makes everything so lively. I love it a lot. I thought about that a lot. Agreed. Um, because I mean, I always bring everything back to Hamilton, but, when I saw the original cast, humble brag, um, it was hard for me to ever be able to picture other people in those roles. So when I saw it in L.A., it was such a pleasant surprise because it was just so completely different that you can rest on your laurels that it's such a powerful show that everyone can bring their own interpretation to it. So even though you see Dan Ammerman as Kemper, it do you feel like it's written in a way that there can be a number of interpretations as to how Kemper is portrayed? Oh, definitely. I mean, 
we love all these people and the characters, but I think we've also always imagined different people portraying it. And there's a real joy in that too, because, you know, a big part of the conversation Hollingsworth and I have been having is also about diversity in casting, which can and should mean a lot of different things. So um, we're excited to see what what different people bring to the roles. That said, you're not incorrect that we are particularly attached to these these people. Well, we all know that I'm a huge fan of all of your cast members, but especially Jordan Goodsell, because I still to this day, two years later, think of that note he hits when he first appears. So uh, I can't wait for New York and everybody to just <laughs> witness that. Me too. I'm I'm very excited. Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm actually I'm very excited to see Jordan um, do the new uh, the new Chetwick and uh, and Craig song. That uh, that's very exciting to me. Definitely, well, Jordan and Luke. once again for listening to Some Like It Pops series Making a Musical. Invisible the Musical will be performing at 54 Below in New York on September 2nd at 9.45pm. Tickets are available on the website 54below.com. Follow at Invisible underscore show for all the latest updates. You can also find us on Twitter at SLIP Podcast for the latest news on our upcoming episodes. And you can find Matt at Matt and myself at Eponine Q. Come on.